pay attention to what's happening locally. If COVID-19 is spreading in your community, stay home as much as possible Shut and up. avoid crowds. Shut up. I, I don't like it because it's so artsy-fartsy. To all the fans in the city of Chicago, if you guys remember when 1984 when they drafted Michael Jordan, I said then, when I got here, that we would be champions by the time I leave. Here they are. This is what you're looking for. Well, we're a five-time champion going for six, and we need your support. Thank you very, very much. So I'm here to talk about how underpaid I've been these last couple of years. Oh, I feel like we got a underappreciated in my contract. We got a Scotty Pippen over here. <laughs> you you want a second banana for this documenteers thing? You're gonna need to pay up, or you know, I might just have foot surgery, huh? How about that, apples? Your 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 contract's better than mine because mine involves me losing money. <laughs> Minimum the cost of an RSS feed every year. Damn! Look at that. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just uh, just glaring meaningfully into your office right now. <laughs> oh yeah, do you see a lot of my office? You see the mirror? <laughs> yeah, you're trying to fuck with me, right? With the mirror behind you. Oh, do you see so me? I'm seeing, I'm seeing see extra bobs. <laughs> That's wild. It's just kind of a coincidence. I could sit on the other side of the office, and uh, you could see like the sky a little better but you could also see the sky where you live too no no i like the front and back view okay good so it'll be like uh you know we're talking about shit that our listeners can't see but you're seeing <laughs> in my office a mirror at my back reflecting me over and over infinity bob that's what that's what's going on here okay you're recording now so yeah yeah we're on oh yeah on skype again Yes, of course. I think it sounds good so far. Yeah, that's just the way of the world these days, man. It seems like we're now in a post-Tiger King society in terms of docuseries. We've all <laughs> dealt with it. Now we're getting the waves of people talking about how overrated it is. Um, I think our um, I think our ultimate review of it was somewhere around a little slightly above average, but not great. I haven't seen it, so... Oh, one man. of the three people in the world. <laughs> I think I know, yeah, you and one other person we know, I know, haven't seen it. <laughs> but now we're talking about a new docuseries, and this one's going to play out for several weeks. You, Yours and I's discussion of it. And I feel like, I mean, not everyone is a big sports fan. I think Tiger King does have a broad appeal, but it does feel like there's a lot of buzz around this docuseries as well. Oh, there's so much buzz. And it was announced a year ago. And you and me talked and we said, we're doing that as soon as it gets on. Cause it's, you know, it's perfect, perfect for our generation too. It's just such a great big deal documentary. But then when ESPN decided to bump it up during the middle of everybody being on lockdown and them having no programming whatsoever, it's become just a huge deal. I mean, this is the headlines on sports websites right now. We're talking about shit that happened in the 90s. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say up top, who's that Who's that dude? Kenny Main from SportsCenter. Throughout this episode, we're seeing this guy come up. He tricked me. Did you get tricked by this? I wrote down in my notes once later on that was like, wait, is this part of the documentary or is this just an ad? Well, at first you get Kenny Main on SportsCenter saying... In 22 years, a Bulls documentary is coming. Just a guess. And it almost seemed, it seemed believable, like a random thing that could connect. Or I kind of assumed that he had remembered that Kenny Mayne had said this back in the 90s and was like, hey, we can actually kind of make that prediction happen. I thought that's kind of what was going down. But then as it kept going, it ended up being like a State Farm commercial and that scary technology being utilized that can make it look like you're saying anything when you're not saying it. Though if you look at Kenny Mayne's mouth, you can tell that something's off. But I wasn't paying that much attention at the beginning, you know? Yeah, man, but that, uh, that's a good point. That was something we talked about on uh, on the live radio show on Walk It Off last night. Because, of course, we're talking about a sports documentary. <laughs> that's, it's become a, a, a saving grace for sports fans right now. Everybody's been looking forward to this documentary 
when there's no actual sports news going on. Yeah. And yeah, it was blowing up Twitter. Uh, you know, everybody was talking about this thing. But it was saying, why did it take so long to come out with a documentary about, you know, one of the greatest teams ever? Well, right off the bat, and also before we get into that, I just want to say, you got ESPN Plus. I got ESPN Plus. And, <laughs> and when you're watching it, and there's commercials. It's it's happening where you're now paying for streaming services and there's still commercials. I could get it if ESPN is advertising for themselves. That's not unusual. HBO's done that for years. But like, I'm getting Facebook commercials in a paid app that we paid for. And it's like, fuck off. Fuck off. They, they started doing it and... In the beginning of these streaming services, I think it was a lot more common for us to be like, yo, if I pay for it, I don't want commercials. And now we're getting commercials, one or two, and a lot of people just aren't paying that much attention now. If you pay for something, you shouldn't have to see the fucking commercials. I get that State Farm has sponsored this, and their little logo is going to show up in the corner. Look, even PBS does that shit. But like, fuck off Facebook for life. Oh man, you watched the app, didn't you? Do what? Say you watched again. it on the app, huh? Yeah. You watched it on the app. Yes. Okay, so we watched different versions of this documentary. You watched it. Oh, you watched it on cable as it was airing. I watched it on the original ESPN channel because that's where they were broadcasting the unedited version. What? Over on ESPN two and on the app, you got it with no cussing. So you missed some of the best lines in this whole thing. I don't know, dude, because the time running on the app is like about an hour. It's like straight. Yeah, but it's... it's but there's, you didn't I, get the, the cussing, right? You got the bleeped out? I honestly can't remember. I'm such a foul-mouthed pig that I may not have like absorbed it. I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what they were saying, was the ESPN broadcast would have the unedited for language, and then they'd be broadcasting it on ESPN2 and through the app, clean. I, I didn't hear any bleeps. I'll tell you that. No bleeps stuck out in my mind. I don't well, know if, that, if it's The production that. value they had on the rest of this thing, I wouldn't be surprised if it was seamless. Well, you were talking about, like, why did it take so long? Obviously, look, we've done enough documentaries to know that the real vision behind the layout of a documentary, especially these 30 for 30s, because of all the shit that they got to go back and accrue is editing. And off the top, you can tell that this, the editing on this is top notch. This is really well executed oh, stuff. And it took, of course it took so much time. Also, this was directed by Jason here. He, her, he, her, he, her, <laughs> bring it back. And we talked about, he's done a few cool things. Um, fab five is being one. A good one that we've yet to get to. Also, he directed Andre the Giant. Which one is, of our favorites. Yeah, a, a fun movie. Also some UFC stuff. And of course, who can forget Jason Heher's Michael Buble meets Madison Square Garden. Like no one can forget that. Definitely. It'll take a long time. It'll take a lot for Last Dance to surpass that in terms of notoriety. So, <laughs> And, of course, I'm talking about a, an in-depth look at these 90s Chicago Bulls because yeah. there's been plenty of Jordan documentaries. There's been plenty of Bulls documentaries. But we're talking about the new – this is really only the last few years that in-depth documentaries have gotten popular in yeah. the cultural forefront. You know, it well, used to be just just nerds and art house people who were watching these in-depth documentaries. Yeah. They were saved for the special features of stuff. But no, now, you know, we're we're in a post-Tiger King society, as you mentioned. Yeah. But, you know, uh, 30 for 30s have been out like 11 years now. And I think it did kind of bridge this gap between something for sports fans and something to absorb for people who aren't that into sports or just don't have time to catch up. You know, I don't know. I'm not deeply, uh, in invested or knowledgeable of every 30 for 30 subject, but I'm a documentary fan and that's kind of all I need to bring to the table. That's one of the enduring legacies of 30 for 30s. They made it, it cool and interesting to see all this behind the scenes sports footage, you know, 30 for 30s, NFL films, a couple of companies really brought this to the forefront of people wanting to see 
the behind the scenes stories with the old footage edited right. Yeah. And and yeah, this is some good shit, but off the top, this is this is looking like some high quality stuff. But I was questioning like Going into this, this, I knew this thing was called the Last Dance. I'm not. I wasn't too exactly clear what that would that meant. You know, I know we're talking about Jordan and the Bulls. We're talking about the team that won uh, six championships in seven or eight years, and and it's like, what does the Last Dance mean? Because in a way, I'm bracing for yet another bit by bit tale going into and we into the career of Michael Jordan and this team that became successful. And we are getting that to some degree, but it's being framed specifically around the last season in which I guess Phil, I almost called him Phil Hartman, Phil Jackson, <laughs> RIP, RIP, by Phil Hartman, Phil Hartman, RIP, one of my childhood favorites, uh, shout out to the memory of Phil Hartman, but Phil Jackson, um, and, and, and it's really interesting because I was super in, engaged in those first three championships, like a lot of us were. I was going from childhood to like preteen during that time. The last three championships, I really wasn't as engaged because that is my adolescence right there. And at that point, adolescence was distracting me from everything. I went from being a kid that watched way too much television, literally could tell you the time of day based on what was on the TV, to a kid who's in his adolescence um, walking around like a walking hormone and maybe watch four or five things on TV at the time. And I could like the Simpsons X-Files Saturday night live. Those were the, probably the, one of the few things I even watched during this, the second half of the bulls championship. Look, the ladies took precedent at that point. That's one of the things that was so special about this though. They mentioned at some point in this documentary that it was Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan of athletes who just were the culture. Yeah. They were so utterly huge, but that also nice and neatly kind of sets things up between generations. Cause each one of those three players represents a completely different generation and their figurehead kind of. So when we get into this Michael Jordan one, it really is for a generation of, you know, 30 somethings who were kids watching the Jordan bulls dominate it's so special to go back and relive those years of those formative sports fan years. But also for for people younger than that who are looking back at hearing those 30-somethings say, oh, well, but, uh, you know, hearing LeBron's the next Jordan, Kobe's the next Jordan. Oh, if only you got to watch Jordan play. Well, here's their chance to get this footage of Jordan playing with all this stuff that's new to the people who saw it play. It kind of puts you on equal footing as well. Yeah. And, you know, and it was, I realized as I was watching this, I think I would just assume that I know a lot about the Jordan Bulls championships eras. But as I was sitting here, I was like, oh yeah, towards the end, I really didn't know sh that much that was going on. And I realized sitting here, I was like, oh, I'm about to get a lot going on. But I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit because when they're talking about the uncertainty, the future of the Bulls going into their last season which would end up being their last championship season and they're talking well, spoilers. about spoilers and they're talking about restructuring <laughs> they're talking about restructuring the team and whether like it just seemed like are we tired it just of winning or something that's kind of the way they were phrasing it so i kind of felt like oh i mean and also i know the outcome but I, but i kind of rolled my eyes a little bit and this idea is like, what's going to happen to this team? It's like, what do you mean? They like fucking accomplish what teams dream of doing, even if they didn't win that last season. But it, but it's almost like when you're, when you got a TV show, that's amazing. Or a director who every movie they make is like really good. It kind of gets hard to talk about how good something is all the time. If you're constantly talking about the same thing over and over and over again, you know? So I feel like we were kind of in that way with this and they were kind of building up some insecurity with this last season of the Bulls right off the bat. But as they go into it, and as I learned, there really was. Tell us about Jerry Krause. I do have notes. This is quarantine year style, um, but I do have a little bit of notes. Ch tell us about Jerry Krause. <laughs> Man, 
I thought they did such a good job with this by getting straight to the meat of it. Again, the first seconds of this, you could tell that it was really well done, really well executed. Them covering the the three championships earlier, well, the five championships go before this season started, and kind of giving you a gloss narrative of the characters. So you got a, an introduction to the main players, but we didn't. We get into the meat of the story, and when you meet Jerry Krause you can tell right away that he's the villain of the story. They introduce him with that minor key music. Yeah. And just, (laughs) yeah, just the guy who didn't get along with these players, the greats. He's the GM, right? He's the GM of the Chicago Bulls. He was the only GM of the Chicago Bulls since Jerry Reinsdorf bought the team. So he's the one who turned the Bulls from a losing team to a all-time great team as well with his personnel moves. Yeah. But he was not exactly easy to get along with. There's, and he, he was short. <laughs> He's short. Yeah, you literally hear, like, Jordan making fun of his weight, like, to his face. And there's the part where Jordan wins the championship and he goes to the locker room and he jokingly says, don't let Jerry touch it, meaning the championship. That is some petty shit. When you win a championship... And your first and your thought is to like, oh, let's like bully this guy a little bit more. And they talked about Jerry as someone who came up poor, made it out like like it was a dig on Jerry that he grew up poor. You know, unlike unlike the rest of us who are in privileged enclaves, you know, in terms of management, I suppose. I don't know. It just seemed weird as they were describing him. This guy did something really smart. And then he's just like being picked on for years after that. Well, we're talking about, again, the focus is the last dance season, the 97 season. And this is when all these kind of schisms are coming to the forefront. You know, they were they were happy with Jerry Krause those first couple of years. But once you've got real issues between real divide between the players and management. And I love that we saw that the early times of this, too, where this first came to play. Michael Jordan's insane hyper competitiveness. And Jerry Krause doing what we now see GMs and ownerships do all the time. Just think about tanking, think about draft picks, think about rebuilding your team for the future before it gets too expensive, that type of thing. He was ahead of his time as a GM. But this was this was a different era, man. You, can, you can't even imagine any of this stuff going on before that. You, you can't even think about these players stuck on long-term bad contracts not holding out or trying to renegotiate yeah, or trying to re-up their deal. They play out these contracts. It's, it's a different time. The player power, like Michael Jordan's talking about hoping that they get one more chance to not break up a championship team. In today's NBA, you can be Kawhi Leonard on a championship team and then say, ah, I want to play for the Clippers. Let's make that happen. <laughs> Players have so much more power. And I want Paul George to play with me too, so trade for him from the Oklahoma City team. Players have so much more power now than they did then. Before the GM made a deal, you dealt with it. I was listening to this podcast, and one of the people on it happened to be the son of an NBA coach. And he was talking about how, he I guess he was relaying you know, like the past NBA. And apparently there was a lot more connectivity and camaraderie in locker rooms. Now it's a lot more like self-isolated, something about self-stardom. I think social media has kind of segregated egos a little bit, especially when it comes to these big time, huge professional sports like the NBA. There's not a lot of like, you know, people show up and they practice and they work hard, but there's not this inter-locker room connection nowadays what there was back in the day like there is a little bit of difference to it so we are kind of seeing stylistically something that maybe isn't as common anymore that should maybe be figured out how to be brought back you know um i think back then you know the influence of the unifying era of college teams kind of carried over into the professional lane a lot more yeah where are there you know everybody invited to my hotel room for a coke party yeah, Come on, right? team building exercises. You mean this team doesn't have like mass coke parties? With God, their chemistry must be terrible. Weed in one corner, women's in the other. <laughs> what am I playing this sport for if I don't have coke parties? 
How are we going to build Team Spirit without all of you getting in on the Coke party? There's there's at one point where the, the team is in France, I think after their fifth championship, and Phil Jackson is dressed like a Cold War era CIA informant. <laughs> and he had a hat that I swear my grandpa used to have with the feathers sticking out of it. <laughs> what do you think of Nick's great Phil Jackson? What are your thoughts on him? <laughs> Well, I, th I think that's one of the reasons we haven't had this documentary until now. We haven't had this in-depth look at the Bulls as much because we felt like we know these guys. These guys fit into such nice stereotypical boxes that we haven't looked too deep into it. You have Michael Jordan, the, the greatest of all time, the unrivaled superstar. Scottie Pippen, the Robin to his Batman, the great second banana. Dennis Rodman, the weirdo, the wild card. Yeah. Phil Jackson, the guru, the spiritual leader. <laughs> All those white guys, the supporting cast. <laughs> those three-point shooting white guys. John Paxson, we hear from John Paxson. He was a he was a big deal watching the Bulls when I was a kid. Like everyone loved Michael Jordan, but John Paxson made that game-winning three-pointer against the Suns in their what was it their third championship? That was some big shit right there. It was cool. I think he was a three-point coach for not long after his era there. And up until this month, he was the GM of the Bulls. Oh, yeah? Cool. Now, now so we're going... he had a long reign in Jerry Krause's seat. Yeah. <laughs> you think he's as hated as Jerry Krause was? Uh, if you talk to Bulls fans right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Come... I mean, you know, it's something when you got something that great, but but you also have something that's going to be like like near impossible to replicate, even in today's NBA, unless you just cram them all. I think the Golden State Warriors got the closest. <laughs> but With Steve Kerr as their coach, who also played on these Bulls. But even that fizzled out with a bunch of politics involved. So <laughs> Made a game-winning shot for a championship, you know? There's... <laughs> We felt like we knew these players. We felt like we knew their roles. So it's fun that they they kind of speed through those championships. You see the highlights. You see the first championship in 91, Jordan hugging the trophy, that iconic photo. You yeah. see 92 and the shrug again, Jordan's iconic moment. I still can't find that meme where someone photoshopped out that trophy and replaced it with a giant penis. I just want to <laughs> I just still can't find it. I'm sure you'll find it for our, you know, Instagram stinger when this episode goes live. <laughs> well, you know, I might as well just try to get banned here in the home stretch, right? I've got faith in you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so they they rattle through these championships. They even skip, they kind of skip the baseball season because, you know, they knew we'd talk about that enough in a previous episode. Yeah, like a month ago. Go back and listen <laughs> to it. And I get to the the 96, 97 win championship seasons, five championships. And then the documentary does this kind of, it, it's kind of cheesy, some of the the heavy notes it has on the music. But it's like, time for drama. <laughs> Look at all this winning. Now it's drama time. We're getting a lot more douche, Jordan, right off the bat. This oh, is something we didn't. <laughs> this is something that maybe I didn't grasp or they didn't sell to little kids at the time because we all wanted Michael Jordan to be our dad. And his gambling addiction stuff would be a lot more uh, iconic as we go further on. But, like, the, the idea of Jordan being a giant douche maybe wasn't thought of that much back in the day. But, yeah, he was a douche. And we go back to his youngster days going into the University of North Carolina where he fucking improves beyond the best players within matters of weeks. The guy the transitioning from freshman to sophomore, I mean, it's not unusual for a great player to take a, a, a few college years before they start really getting refined. This guy was like, oh shit, he, he, we're looking at an all-time great Like by the end of his freshman year. At the end of his freshman year, he made the game-winning shot to win the national championship. Can't because no that. one expected him to shoot it. He wasn't the star of the team. And yeah, they talk about that that improvement he made, and it mirrors his high school years when he was infamously cut from the varsity team as a sophomore. Yeah. I um, love I love that's kind of like the when you when you hear you heard about that, like uh Jordan was cut from the team when he was in high school. It's it's like a 
like an Ein, like Einstein didn't really talk until like age five. Like it's kind of like that anecdotal thing. It's like, did you know that these geniuses had stupid moments? You know, kind of something to give us all hope when we're being fools. Exactly. What all of us athletes hear when we get cut from a team. Oh, don't worry. You know, Michael Jordan was cut from his basketball team. <laughs> but Jordan, of course, eventually will talk to his coach. Um, he's so good. Even the coach is like, you should probably go into the NBA and get started on this career. And he wanted to my... come back for a senior season. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of like, I get that. And they talk culturally how even when he went to the NBA, he still kind of acted like he was in college, you know? But, um, which is kind of adorable, but, but was he drafted first? Oh, come on, man. That was a big scene. (laughs) (laughs) Was he, was he drafted first? There's actually no, we haven't got, he was not. And he wasn't even dropped second. Yeah. Who was second? Was it Ewing? (laughs) No, it wasn't Ewing. It was not Ewing. It was Sam Bowie or uh, Bowie. Bowie was first, wasn't he? He was second. Who was first? Before Jordan. First was Hakeem Olajuwon, the ah. dream. Oh, and nobody yeah. argued with that. Nobody right then would have taken Jordan over Olajuwon coming out of college. Yeah. you know. <laughs> so I, you, you don't hear about that as much because nobody's laughing. They're like, idiots, you took Hakeem Olajuwon. Oh, he was also awesome. Yeah, yeah. But Sam Bowie, uh, he didn't turn out the way I the mean, trailblazers hoped he would. And there, there is a 30 for 30 about that that we'll get to eventually. And, and he was a solid there. player. Yeah. You know, both it, was solid. But it, we hear the Trailblazers' just, reasoning. They already had Clyde Drexler. They already had a shooting guard. They didn't need two. That's another it, way just that how much the game changed. Bowie's essentially an injury case, which is something that is uh, sad but not uncommon. So uh, He's the most often comped when Greg Oden gets brought up, who was drafted ahead of Kevin Durant Yeah, by that same Trailblazers team. <laughs> <laughs> no luck for their front office. <laughs> but I love the part where they're talking about like um the Jordan and his ranking in the lottery and how like he's only six six, you know. He's only six six and you get these talking heads of people being like, I don't know, you know, it might this is a a big man's game. And look, <laughs> a, it's very obvious that big men are important in the NBA, but it, but it's almost like they're ignoring the the value of speed here. You know what I'm saying? This was a completely different type of basketball, 90s NBA. It was played different. The plays were run different. The big men were the big stars. And you, can, <laughs> you get those great quotes from big men around the league who were like, yeah, well, it's not one player who's going to do it. And, you know, one player can't put a team on his shoulders, especially not a huge guy. And, and is, I, I bet Mark Eaton, Utah Jazz Center, is eating those words, seeing him in the documentary. He's like, damn it. Damn it. They and, found that clip. You know, and you're getting teams at this time, like the like the Detroit Pistons, who had these big push-around guys that were showing that that may be what you needed to win to be some big dickhead. And, uh, so yeah, there wasn't a lot of credence paid for those quick, skillful dudes. But, you know, they'd get a lot more respect going on. 6'6 six, six is still plenty tall. At least in my world. Jordan changed the game, obviously. But th- it's not like there weren't great guards before this. Oscar no, Robinson no. was often considered one of the best basketball players in the world. <laughs> we see him on a little trivia question that pops up a couple times. in the. I was getting confused what they were doing with the commercials. Some of the commercials weren't commercials. Some of them I, were. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. Here's trivia sponsored by State Farm. The Kenny Main State Farm shit. It's like, I'm never getting State Farm. Sometimes a commercial bugs me, and I'm like, I'm never doing that. I, I quit my Facebook a long time ago, and it just cements. The more I see a Facebook, it just cements. Even if someone sends me a leak to a Facebook video, I'm like, fuck it. If, it's, if I got to watch it on Facebook, I'm not going to watch it. Fuck and that Facebook. State Farm commercial too, you know, Chris Paul's pretty cool with a fake Chris Paul pretending to be his kid's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'd be as cool with that situation. It's weird. And again, this is on a paid for app. You know? What I'm else is weird a... is that I didn't expect this to go all true detective on us with the timeline swaps through yeah. each episode. I it would be cool if Rust Cole showed up to explain nihilism. 
to the to the 92 bulls <laughs> but again it, it was really well done it, it was kind of jarring a couple times i thought where they just quickly transitioned out like okay we're talking about this game it's coming up the bulls are going to be you know turning around they got michael jordan now hold on backstory time <laughs> yeah so it was kind of jarring, but it was also you could tell they made an effort to to have it feature out. Like when we saw Jordan talk about his his high school years and his college years, that was because we were th- taken through an anecdote about his legendary competitiveness and how he just could not deal with losing, how he could not deal with getting outworked by anybody, by getting beaten by anybody. So they took us back to his early upbringing throughout those high school and college years to show where this came from and the, the incidents with his, the competitiveness with his brother, Lenny. Yeah. It's again, really behind the scenes, really interesting stuff. Cause that's something sports fans all know. You said Jordan comes off as a douchebag here. We all knew Jordan was a hyper competitive asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he was a tough guy to play with and play for or anything like that. His so it's intense, cool that they go into the backstory there. His intensity is well known. I mean, the first thing you hear everyone who knows Jordan personally is like, this dude works harder than anyone you'll ever meet in your life. And he smokes bigger cigars. Yeah. And they were talking about how he kept it clean when he's walking into the cocaine party during the shitty Bulls era. But this <laughs> guy was like... A- highlight number one of this docu- of episode one. <laughs> but this guy but we know this guy is an intense gambler like that's a, another problem that can ruin your life and uh you know so but he got a lot but he got a lot of credit in this first part for being a teetotaler as it were but you when know, he came up as a rookie this was yeah. him before he was michael jordan the all-time great and we got that moment too when he hit that game-winning shot in college where you get the quote that that's when he switched from Mike Jordan to Michael. He became this hyper-confident guy who knew he was going to be great, who was going to be an icon in the culture. Do you think Michael Jordan's ever been in one of those eyes-wide-shut orgies where a woman is ritualistically murdered at the end of it? One? At least one? At he, least one. He's probably hosted five. At least. <laughs> I mean, we talk about early playoff series when he's a uh, gallant on golf in between games with members of the other team yeah <laughs> that's kind of fun man golf golf is like the one sport you can kind of still play right now isn't it well Maybe if you're just... a rich asshole you can do whatever you want <laughs> apparently even tell the state to open up when there's a pandemic going on <laughs> but this is what's builds to the central conflict of the story so far what you were talking about the introduction of jerry krause as the enemy that's where it came in that Michael Jordan could not lose. He could, he, that wasn't in his mind. He didn't have this rebuilding mindset. So when we get to his second season, after he comes off his spectacular rookie year, where he took the league by storm, where he wins rookie of the year. And he, he broke his foot in a game against the warriors in year two. And he wanted to come back so quickly. He'd never missed game. He never missed a game in high school in college and the pros until then. So he wants to be playing as soon as possible. And the Bulls are like, look, there's there's still a 10% chance of you re-injuring this foot and ruining your career. You know, you're our property for a long time on a rookie schedule. You were great. You won rookie of the year. You blew everybody out of the water. You know, we're not going to risk your career for a season where we're not doing too good. And then there's that unspoken thing in the background that now everyone understands. Tanking. We They're also saying, a, you know, if we miss the playoffs, yeah. we get a top 10 draft pick. Remember the suck for a duck shit with the Jets and the Titans a few years ago? And Marcus Mariota ended up not working out, really. But it was like you were hoping the Titans would lose so they would get Marcus Mariota. Man. It happens all the time, man. The tank for Tua with the Miami Dolphins going into this year's draft. Weren't we at Didn't that work game? exactly as planned. We were at that game, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've been shit. to some pretty shitty Jets-Titans games. <laughs> what a shitty-ass game that was. <laughs> Good times, man. <laughs> but yeah, Good but, times. But we're going yeah, when, back. When uh, Jordan's go- getting off. 
when he's put on that minutes restriction when he comes back from his injury and he's playing seven minutes per half is all he's allowed to play. <laughs> and he hates it. But we get this this big-time scene where they're playing, they're playing a big game against the Pacers late in the season that they need to win for playoff positioning. And Michael Jordan's already played his 14 minutes. They were an incredible 14 minutes. He dominated this game. With 30 seconds left, the Bulls are down by one point. And Jordan's like, there's 30 seconds left. Put me back in the game. The coach is like, no, Jerry already told me he's going to fire me if I play you for more than 14 minutes exactly. So he won't put Jordan back in the game, even for the last possession down by a shot. And this is described in the documentary as the moment that Jordan knew Kraus didn't care about winning as much as he did. So he lost that <laughs> respect for him. I understand the management's position on this. I mean, the worst scenario is Jordan losing his career. You know, it's something that could not just affect the Bulls, but any other team that Jordan could potentially ever play for going into the future. It's not, I know Jordan is Jordan. He's just going to fucking do it. And thankfully Paxson made a game winning shot, but it's not, it's, I think Jordan, it's like, look, your doctor's going to tell you what the doctor says that they should say, you know, and it may, it's, and they're not, their job is not to tell you what you want to hear and they can't control you from doing whatever for the most part, but there's a professional opinion and then there's a personal opinion. And ultimately Jordan ended up being, you know, more right, but no one would know that at the time. There was a risk there. You don't even have to look outside of Chicago for an example of things going the other way. Look at Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. Yeah. Dusty Baker pounded their arms into dust by playing them over and over again. And then their careers never were the same. And now they take tons of shit for that. But we get to see this, this personality in another one of the documentary's great quotes where the Bulls owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, tells Michael Jordan, he's like, look, they said a 10% chance that you could be re-injured and ruin your career. And Jordan's like, yeah, that, that's a 90% chance it doesn't happen. He goes, look, if I give you 10 pills and say nine of them will cure your headache and one of them will kill you, are you going to take a pill? And he says, if the headache's bad enough... <laughs> that's what you heard he actually says depends on how fucking bad the headache is god damn it why don't it's the you're on the app why are you showing me the edited ber version <laughs> i'm the app you're watching fucking basic cable and you're getting the dirt come on <laughs> sorry are you you're watching it on disney plus right they own it the same as uh all those the the espn plus i mean which is all the connected <laughs> Seriously, I'm I'm watching edited bullshit. Yep. I, gotta, I, re I recorded it, man. If this ever ends, you can come by and watch the uh, real shit. I got a sling, but it's not. But it doesn't have the ESPN package. You can only get the Fox Sports package or the ESPN package. So you can't. Can you pick Fox Sports. Look, Preds games. That was the idea. And uh, now okay. none of them. That's fair. Now, that's fair. And now none of that shit's playing. I could pay a little bit more, but honestly, month to month, I don't know if I'm going to have the sling package anymore. <laughs> uh, even ESPN2 wouldn't cut it, man. You got to watch the the original ESPN for the... Uh, depends on how fucking bad the headache is. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? I guess I will just have to fucking cuss a fucking bunch to make fun of the, the, the dick. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for what I missed. Uh, but... Look, uh, Phil Jackson, not Hartman, says he actually describes the 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 namesake of the series. He says that's what he called the last season because Jackson signed for one more year, and it was known and it was made clear by Kraus, who had issues with Jackson and a lot of players, that Phil Jackson Phil Jackson's not coming back for a seventh year, for a seventh chance at a championship. And Jordan is saying, like, if there's no Phil, there's no me. I'll go somewhere else. So. And Scottie Pippen's contract would have been up at the end of the year. Everybody knew the team wasn't going to be together the same way at the end of the season. The only reason Jackson was back for the one more season was they skipped Jerry Krause. Jerry Reinsdorf went straight to Phil, and they hammered out a one-year, $6 million contract extension. I'm sure we'll get into that in the series, but he was, he managed to be around for one more year. Big-time money. 
But yeah, so Kraus said, you know, even if Jackson goes 82 and 0, he's not coming back after this season. Yeah. And we got into a little bit of the drama with the the groomed successor in Tim Floyd. <laughs> Phil Jackson not being invited to Jerry Krause's stepdaughter's wedding while Tim Floyd was. <laughs> and he was like, uh, he was basically like, I don't really like weddings anyway. It's okay. <laughs> I feel him. I'm more That's of a also recept- infamous for Phil Jackson with his uh, <laughs> Jimmy Buss situation later on. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we get into part two. And I honestly think... Oh, we've been in part two for a while, man. Yeah, well, my notes are <laughs> kind of blurred in. We're talking about both, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I was sitting there, and it starts off on some Scotty Pippen. I don't have... You know, I didn't put him and Hakeem's stats uh, right next to each other and did comparisons, but there is a lot to claim that in the Jordan era that Scotty Pippen was the second best player. I still kind of think Hakeem's got the edge, but but, you know, there was a lot of great players at that time, and if Pippen wasn't at least second, he was third and often the assist leader on these championship teams. So every time he touched the ball, he would get it to someone who was scoring. That meant, you know, someone's always going to score after Scotty touched that ball. And I thought, oh my God, we're getting a 30 for 30 Scotty Pippen within a series. And I thought that was so funny because Scotty Pippen and his like shadow of Jordan I think can merit its own 30 for 30, but we still can only get that Pippen story within the greater tapestry that is mostly focused on Jordan. I thought that was kind of like a weird irony. And I I assumed the whole episode was going to be about Scottie Pippen, but only like one third of it was ultimately. It is, but it's all this time jumping and going back and forth. The, the episode two is the Scottie Pippen episode, just like they promised that episode three will be the Dennis Rodman episode. But it's also interweaved with the story of this season, the flashbacks between these players, and the, the story we were just telling about when Michael Jordan's second year, when he got hurt, and then that infamous Pacers game. Uh, <clears throat> where John, Paxton, where John yeah. Paxton did win, hit the game-winning shot, the Bulls did end up making the playoffs. That was the Suns, my man. No, no, that was that Pacers game that we were just talking about. Oh, you mean from 85, 86? Yeah. Okay. And the Bulls made the playoffs, and this is, again, the argument between, well, Jerry Krause might have wanted them to lose, was they run into this Boston Celtics juggernaut, the top-seeded team, Yeah. that no one was going to beat that year. They had four future Hall of Famers on this Boston team. Right. That's another fun thing this documentary can do. You know, it's about the Jordan Bulls, but it's also going to give us glimpses into some of the other great teams of this era. And yeah, I'm definitely not looking forward to all the Knicks that's information that's going to come up in this later on. Gosh, the NBA from the mid-80s to around the mid-90s was quite a force to be reckoned with, huh? Oh, yeah. And we see Jordan taken over when his minutes restriction was taken off for the playoffs, because now they can't get a draft pick, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> they take his minutes restrictions off. And he says he was like a like a wild dog let off his leash. Yeah. And he sets a playoff record in game two on the road with 63 points against the Celtics. Yeah. Uh, a, a record on the Celtics turf. Larry Bird says that that was God dressed as Michael Jordan. Wow, Larry. <laughs> so they all recognize that this is the greatest player in the NBA right now. That was his biggest moment to turn. But the Bulls still lost that game. Yeah. But like, even the game one where he scored 49, they lost by 19 points. But it was pretty much neck and neck so much of the way. It went to overtime. Yeah. But yeah, they lose that series. They're not going to, they don't win a cha- their first championship until what, seven years after Jordan came into the league? Yeah, that's true. It took a while. But that was the moment where Jerry Krause realized that they've some. got the best player in the league right now. Yeah. We've got to surround our goal now is to make this bulls team a bunch of complimentary players to Michael Jordan. Yeah. And drafting Scottie Pippen was a big part of that while trading for Scottie Pippen on draft day, the Seattle supersonics actually drafted him. Yeah. And he traded, uh, was it Charles Oakley? To, no, he traded, they traded Charles Oakley for, uh, Whit- Whitmore. What's the guy's uh, for name? Bill Cartwright, Bill Cartwright. For Bill Cartwright. 
from the Knicks because he he thought he was center. And that was a big thing because Oakley, we saw in a flashback earlier when he was uh, taking a different rookie to task, well, taking rookie Scottie Pippen to task. Charles Oakley was one of the most badass people in the NBA. He was a menacing force. He's still intimidating as hell coaching in the big three right now. Nice. But now, yeah, Oakley was the enforcer of this team. We saw Scottie Pippen enter the Bulls and he comes in. He says, I'm going to be better than Michael Jordan. And Charles Oakley puts him up against the wall when he starts getting a little too big for his britches. Yeah, like busting his beans. <laughs> so when they traded Oakley for Cartwright, it made sense from a basketball standpoint. They needed that size. They needed that center. But it was a big part of their <laughs> locker room. And yeah, Oakley went on to become one of the more beloved Knicks of that 90s era. Yeah. Now we're going back and forth from then, from the team being built around Jordan to Scottie Pippen in that last Go heading towards that last championship season. The guy, I think they said he's he was what like 112 in terms of like what he was paid compared to everyone else. And 122nd. Yeah, and he was statistically like putting up like any other team, like better than some leaders of other teams in terms of statistics and assists. And second, when he, and when he's second, it shows he's second on the team. And in a lot of those stats, he was probably second, like throughout the league, in turn, in a lot of those stats on some of those years. But Pippen, yeah. he, he's having foot issues, and he says he wants to have this surgery before the summer so that he can enjoy his summer. Now, no, Pippen, after the summer, after the summer, and Pippen, uh, on my version, it was because he didn't want to fuck up his summer. He didn't want to. God damn it! Where's my <laughs> f bombs? You don't want to fuck up his summer? Man, I got to say, those edits are sharp. <laughs> they did really good with the editing of this, man. You can't <laughs> quibble with that. <laughs> and Jordan say, is basically straight up like, this is selfish. Because Jordan is like, the only thing he wants to do is ever win. So anything that gets in the way of that. So we got a Pippen who's out heading into this new season. And... And it's definitely like bureauc- Pippen is playing bureaucracy. He's in a feud with Kraus. It's it's there's so much going around that Kraus wants to trade him, and you can't help but Pippen saying, "Oh, you want to know what it's going to be like without me? Well, here you go." And the Bulls fucking struggle because Pippen is that glue that brings this team together, and you see a very frustrated Michael Jordan. On and a team that's not who's that are losing games they shouldn't even without a Scottie Pippen and you see Jordan like up like it, it's weird watching him berate Tony Kukoc you know oh, he was dropping some f bombs on his teammates too yeah in case you're wondering yeah what is he like fuck you Tony Kukoc in the <laughs> land you were from or whatever uh, a little yeah, harsh in my I, a little harsh i can't wait to see how they handle the infamous scotty pippen tony kukoc moment later on in this documentary series because we're only watching this is episodes one and two of a 10-part series i don't know if we even mentioned that yet <laughs> yeah yeah well so there's we're gonna have five of these uh raw quarantine deer styles episodes devoted to that over a month of sunday nights yeah, yeah. espn knows what they're doing Man, I, I turned on the channel to make sure I didn't miss the last dance. You know what they're broadcasting? What ESPN's down to right now without this documentary? It was over six hours of Peyton's Places nonstop back-to-back <laughs> before this, which is a web app show made for the app <laughs> that they re-edited for TV to show for over six hours because there's nothing to talk about right now. I know they made a deal with the WWE to show old uh, WrestleManias, and apparently those were the biggest ratings draws probably up until now <laughs> since the shutdowns began. The way episode one ended, too. I want to talk about the way they ended the episode. Yeah. Because I was wondering when that was going to happen. They they end the first episode by starting out the season in question, the last dance season. The players show up to their first game, which is going to be a ring ceremony for the championship they won the season before. And they get the big introduction. And, of course, that song that's identified with the Bulls' introductions of that era although they may have stolen it from the Phoenix Suns, who were doing it first, was Alan Parsons serious. And it starts <laughs> playing over the loudspeakers. 
And those introductions the players get in, Jerry Krause gets introduced first in the documentary to uh, what could be described as tepid applause. <laughs> and then Phil Jackson and the rest of the players get introduced, including Scottie Pippen in street clothes because he just had his surgery, to what could be probably called riotous applause. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love that the Alan Parsons project is a part of Bulls history. It is, man. That introduction, that happens, you know, every sports team now uses that at introduction sometimes. Yeah. But when it started playing and they started introducing the Bulls, and then it continued on into the credits of the first episode, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I had uh, I had chills. <laughs> I was, it, got, I, it got me. I was thinking about you in that scene. I was like, I bet Drew's got a total boner right now <laughs> watching this build up to this last season and shit. Fans holding their homemade signs. Uh, Syria started playing rock hard. (laughs) (laughs) And now Scotty eventually comes back and it wasn't just friction between him and he and Jerry Krause. It was straight up. Hey, that doesn't happen yet. Scotty Pippen is not back by the end of episode two. You're such a note slave. I want to get, yeah, he did come back by the end of episode two. (laughs) <laughs> and it showed the divide he had, the no, he, bit, didn't. he demanded a trade he said he would never suit up for the bulls again yeah oh and he was that's where we left episode two was a cliffhanger dude he they're was doing tra- cliffhangers in a sports documentary about stuff that happened 20 years ago i forget he was he was traveling but he was still injured and they're openly berating jerry Krause to the point where his teammates who also probably hate jerry Krause, are like Hey, hey, Scotty, uh, calm the fuck down, please. Yeah, even Phil Jackson says he took it way too far. <laughs> you're, make, you're making it a little hot, buddy. But what you were talking about earlier, the this great stats of Scotty Pippen compared to his pay. Scotty Pippen was on a ridiculously cheap contract. He signed a seven-year extension after his rookie deal that paid him, I think, $18 million total for those seven years. Yeah. Which, again, he's not going poor. But by NBA player standards, is ridiculously low. It he was, was so wildly underpaid throughout his entire prime. It would seem like this had to come to it. It would seem like Scotty was fine at first, you know, taken because I mean he did sign that long ass contract. So you got to figure Scotty is like uh, it is what it is. I'm still a very comfortable, successful person. But then people are just constantly going to point that out to them. We see a little bit of interview here where he's like, where people are talking about what Jordan is asking for 36 million. And like they're everyone's always asking uh, Scotty about his career and compared to Jordan, whether it be playing or of course his low by comparison salary. And so I think it's just something that ate away at his brain. And after a time where Scotty feels like, Hey, I think I can maybe uh, negotiate a little better here. I mean, you just got Kraus being like, meh, I don't even know if you'll be here, dude. Yeah, and talking about trading him after he'd been underpaying him for years, you can see why Scottie Pippen was upset with Kraus. You you do see why he's a little bitter about it. You kind of get it. And you also see why he took that long-term contract, because we get all these flashbacks to Scottie Pippen's youth, where he was growing up poor in Arkansas, one of 12 children, his dad and an older brother, both in a wheelchair. Yeah. That's that's the kind of background that's going to make a player take the security over the risk. He's going to lock himself up. We still see this nowadays. MLB players will take that incredibly under-market contract as their first contract because when you're, making, when you're a rookie, when you're young, you're not making that much money. And if you come from a situation that's kind of tough, you got you, you got to put food in mouths – yeah. You're supporting a, a huge family like that. You got to take that money up front, even if it means sacrificing on the back end. He just didn't I, know it would be that much of a sacrifice. But hey, shall I, you want a spoiler that might spoil some of the rest of it? The tension. Oh, oh, oh okay. Scottie Pippen ends up making more money than Michael Jordan does in NBA salaries by the time their careers are over. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So everything's going to be okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pippen pointed out that when they were where they were growing up, they were poor, but they didn't really know it. And that kind of epitomizes country living. 
You know, you could go from a big city and go to a rural area and they, you might like look down on people because they have less trappings than you, but you're not analyzing whether what's important about the trappings you've surrounded yourself with. That's very common in rural areas. It's like they're just kind of living their life by their own means. And, you know, you don't really get the poverty aspect of it until you start comparing it to, you know, what's going on in other parts of the country. Scotty Pippen wasn't even a, a recruit or anything. He went to an NIA, NAIA college. Yeah. You know, he was a school, small school player in central Arkansas where only Bill Clinton got to see him play. Oh, uh, and of course, God, there's, we've seen Bill Clinton show up in so many documentaries, dude. I guess because so many documentaries take place during this time. Made himself the number five pick in the draft after he went from a walk-on. He didn't even have a scholarship at the small school, but then he grew like five inches in a year. Hey, dude, man, I went to some of those eyes wide shut parties that Scotty hosted, dude. Man, we killed like three women that night. It was fucking awesome, man. I came so much. I came uh, three times before the killings and then three more times after the killings while while the killings was taking place, dude. I love pussy. Our virilist president. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I heard Trump can't even get it up. I'm, I got a boner right now, man. Hey, did you also catch the uh, when they had Barack Obama in this documentary as well? Oh, yeah. This is also Talking something... About- it's also Talking something about we're going to get too much of. Yeah, he used to go to Bulls games so cheap because they sucked. And then Jordan yeah. came along and they were sold out every single game. <laughs> he couldn't afford it. Uh, when Obama came back on the screen, he was his little blurb that said who he was said listed him as former Chicago resident. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. That was pretty funny. <laughs> they, they don't still they don't live up in uh, fucking Hyde Park right now. I thought they did. <laughs> or is he or is he kicking around on jet skis with Richard Branson on a private island? Thanks for hanging for the people, big O. <laughs> I wouldn't know, but uh when they probably get to the Trump interviews when they get to the Knicks rivalry scenes. <laughs> oh god, please. He no. probably won't let himself be listed as, you know, former New York resident. <laughs> <laughs> probably like human trash. Let's hope it's <laughs> Donald Trump, current US president. Former trash, total trash. Anyway, they did manage to throw in in the highlight montage of the first episode Scotty Pippen's infamous dunk and step over of Patrick Ewing. So, yeah, dr- driving something into Knicks fans early. Let's talk about that for a second, man. There are a the, bunch of highlights. There yeah. are a bunch of rad highlights in this thing. We had highlights of Scotty Pippen playing small school college ball in Central Arkansas. We had Michael Jordan in college. Incredible highlight that I'm not sure if I saw before where he chased down a Duke player from behind to block his shot. And he caught so much air blocking that shot that he bashed his head bashed. against the backboard. Yeah, he hit his head against the backboard. Like That dude was different. <laughs> you talk yeah. about Air Jordan. That Seeing that highlight made me gasp and be like, yeah, that's why he's Air Jordan. What if his career ended right there? Like he cracked his <laughs> skull and he was never right because he did too good a job getting air, blocking a shot up in the air like that. It'd be a hell of a 30 for 30. Yeah. What could have been 30 for 30s love. What could have been, it definitely would have been one. <laughs> but yeah. But man, that... I, I love the highlights. We had tons of them and they focused in the, in episode two, the kind of the ending of it was going back and forth between the current storyline, the 1997 Bulls, the Last Dance Bulls, and Scottie Pippen's contract situation and his frustration with Jerry Krause, and the Bulls becoming the Bulls when Michael Jordan was blowing up on the Celtics in that playoff series. And that's pretty much where we leave it, on that cliffhanger. Will Pippen be around or not? Trade demand, a cliffhanger. Trade demand. He that cracked out. me up and made me so upset, man, that they had a fucking cliffhanger we'll, <laughs> in this 10-part documentary about something that happened over 20 years ago. We'll be back. Uh, like I said, I'm learning a lot about the later era Bulls, though. So It's but so we'll, well done. It's so well done. It, so far, this is pretty good, I got to say. So 
And we'll be back next week uh, with more of that. Keep on docking. Fade out, Alan Parsons. I would love the opportunity of finishing my career out in Chicago, but if it don't happen, then I'll just have to look elsewhere. I'm one of the best players to ever play the game. I understand what my value is to this game. You're very underpaid, though, as one of the top players. What do you think your value is? In terms my day of will come. My day will come.